There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, all you wedding adventurers. My name's James, and welcome back to episode 16 of the 9to5ADV podcast, where we talk affordable and accessible adventure bike riding. With me, as always, is my co-host, Ross. Uh, how's lockdown treating you, bud? Well, kind of the same as last week, really. Can't really complain. I'm <laughs> in the slightly sort of privileged position of uh, being on furlough with no kids, and um, yeah, not a lot of uh, not a heap of responsibility anyway. So, yeah, I'm certainly not going to complain. How's uh, how's family? How's family life? How's the dog? How's Jessica? Yeah, everything is the direct opposite for me. Work is busy. At home is busy. I get out. I walk the dog. I go to work. I come home. I walk the dog. I cook, we cook dinner one of us cooks dinner while the other one looks after the child and then vice versa until bedtime so this is, this is your little bit of a respite <laughs> during the week basically yeah and i've ridden to work a few times this week which has been absolutely lovely oh it's been um cold but dry this week hasn't it up until recently yeah up until today when it was piddling but yeah right kit doesn't matter exactly right bike as well but you're getting into grips now yeah you? yeah which is lovely go on ticking some boxes for the winter challenge then exactly which were what are we coming up on maybe three weeks left i want to say yeah yeah so i know you launched so, a poll on the, the facebook page to see if uh if people wanted an extension because obviously we were, were aware that you know having a month or so of of lockdown hasn't helped with people's ability to get out on the bikes um unless they're unless they're having to use it for key work or or visiting kind of relatives or uh or shielding people yeah, or yeah. shopping and things like that so it's it's been definitely been tougher to get out on the bikes or find the excuses to do it um within the confines of the rules but um i think most most people seem to say they were they were happy with um it ending at the end of uh feb is planned but yeah most people said that they're happy as it is uh almost as many people said they just want a bit more time which i might might do yeah it's it might, no... i can't hurt to add a couple of weeks <clears> in, can it yeah, and then a couple of people wanted more challenges, which I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'll see what I'll see what we're looking like. First place, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a nightmare. But it's going to depend on what what is said on Monday. So yeah. um, as to what what we what I decide we're going to do. But there you go. Usually we would have news at the beginning of each episode, but uh, yes, again, there is isn't really any news. It would have been the January London bike show this week, as my phone reminded me that I went to last year. Oh, really? We've had it. There's been a few virtual. I know we spoke about this briefly last week. There's been a couple of virtual um, bike launches, uh, certainly that as Bridge we've done um, the Triumph ones. So their new their new little Tridents come out now, which isn't an adventure bike, but I think it looks like 
perfect little roadster. Um, I think exactly what the market's crying out for. Um, you know, small, light, not overpowered, not underpowered, really sensibly priced. Um, you're not going to ride a million miles on it and certainly you're not going to go off-road. But if you're looking for something as a, either commuter or as just a fun little bike to go out and blast around B-roads on, can't think of much better. It's definitely something to look at if you're in the market for an MT. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like seven or nine, because it sort of splits the difference between them, really, doesn't it? And there's something to be said about Triumph's triples that are just fantastic engines. Kind of like how, you know, Yamaha's got that CP2, I think. Yes. Yeah, I'd say that's you know. that's true. The Triumph triples, certainly, and certainly the smaller capacity ones, I think. Um, I've had a couple of street triples and that engine... Um, which is a reworked version of the street triple engine in the Trident. And yeah, it's it's a brilliant road motor. So yeah, and then we'll come on to uh, the other bike that they're launching later in the episode. Yeah, um, well, we're speaking, we're talking about new bikes, aren't we, this episode, which is, but um, specifically uh, new bikes that are being not forced to, to be made, but... Um, no, but given like a bit of a, a helping helping hand or a shove along. Yeah, and a few bikes that were were saying goodbye to. Not really in our niche of adventure, though, so we're quite lucky. But again, like you said, we'll we'll dive right in. But we're, if you didn't know already, we're talking about Euro Five, um, the emission standards, which uh, all internal combustion vehicles have to have to abide by. Yeah, so it was um, it was back in 2016, I believe, when Euro Four came into effect, replacing Euro Three, and so on, and we're now up to five. Um, so if you've shown any interest in buying a, a new bike um, towards the end of last year, and and certainly if you've got any interest in buying one this year, you'll have heard about Euro Five uh, regulations. But um, we want to just have a quick look into what what they are and what they entail. Um, this bit isn't especially interesting but um for those of you that want to know exactly what euro 5 means um under euro 4 a motorcycle could emit no more than um 1140 milligrams per kilometer of carbon monoxide um this now drops to a maximum of 1000 milligrams per kilometer um the old limit for total hydrocarbons was 170 milligrams per kilometer that's now dropped to 100 milligrams per kilometer uh limit for nitrogen oxide was 90 milligrams per kilometer that's now 60 um, the biggest thing with Euro 5 is um, a new measure uh, of a maximum of 68 milligrams per kilometre of non-methane hydrocarbons. Um, so that's our exciting new addition for Euro, Euro 5 regulations for 2021. In other words, it's to, it's to reduce emissions, um, clean up bikes um, and basically pump less pollution into the atmosphere, I guess. Mm, so bike, bikes are quite... We're behind, aren't we, with cars? What are cars on now? Oh, crikey, I'm not sure. Is it Euro 8 or something on trucks? Yeah. Trucks are even further ahead again. Yeah, so we we are the bottom of the pile when it comes to um, having having these restrictions put in. And a lot of people, you know, especially back when I was working, um, selling bikes, people moaned about Euro 4 and, mm-hmm. and people moaned about Euro 5 and, 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 and all these things. But... You know, at the end of the day, it is about, you know, the the environmentalist in me. It, it is all about making the air cleaner for us to, to live in, um, yeah. especially in big cities, you know, especially like in London and such. I was doing some research. You've done most of the research for this episode, Ross. Thank you. But um, I've, I've done I've chucked in a few nuggets myself. But um, 
Air pollution is actually the biggest environmental threat to health in this country, in the United Kingdom. Um, I was shocked by this, but when they say that they're saying the government website says 28 to 36,000 people die from long-term exposure to air pollution each year in the United Kingdom. So, you know, this isn't, they're not doing this for fun um, or because they've got some quota to, to fill. And we are, like you said, we are bottom of the pile. And I suppose kind of rightly so, because um, if you were to add up the, the total mileage of all motorcycles in the UK combined to the total mileage of all cars or certainly all trucks in the UK, it would absolutely pale in comparison. So we are a relatively and comparatively a very small contributor to pollution, but we are still a contributor nonetheless. Oh yeah, 100%. But that kind of explains why we're so far behind cars and trucks. Mm. But it is, a good, that big a difference. it is a good thing. And I, I was thinking about this on the way to work on my bike this morning. I, I did think, oh, I'm, I'm recording this tonight and I'm talking about emissions and it being better for, for health and, and and for the environment. And I've recently decatted my T7. <laughs> as you were saying oh i'm the environmentalist in me i was thinking this is going to come back it's going to seem a bit ironic later when i but i feel that i have offset that by being a family with only one car and that yeah, car is electric a golf a golf car isn't it yeah yeah so i'm letting myself off for that one yeah but and again you know the mileage you do you don't do tremendous mileage a year um on your motorcycle because most of it is kind of green laning and um relatively short distances mm. and um, most people so you, you know. won't be decatting their bikes and won't have the need to decat their bikes it's yeah, it's more of absolutely. you're playing a numbers game here you know yes um, there would yeah there'll be a small minority of enthusiasts that do it most people will just be quite happy living their bike standards um the other good news about it um and this is something we want to get clear really early on in the podcast is that these regulations have absolutely no impact whatsoever on existing owners of euro 4 euro 3 or or earlier motorcycles there's nothing you have to do there's nothing you have to update um mot regulations for emissions aren't changing at all there are no emissions testing for mot's on bikes so if you're an owner of a an older machine do not worry in the slightest nothing changes for you it doesn't affect the resale value of your bike if you're trading it into a dealer because it doesn't affect the sale of used machines either well you, you say that but if you have i would have i would argue that if you have an r6 for example well, your value might shoot up yeah because they're not making yeah, them absolutely. anymore yeah so yeah yeah absolutely so yeah if you've got a bike that is being cancelled um we certainly saw this with things like higher booster prices back in 2016 when they um were cancelled the 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 value of good low mileage high boosters shot up because you couldn't buy a new one it was impossible but they're back um they're back now <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um and euro five so um but no, so don't don't worry about it. If you're, it's only going to come into effect if you're looking to buy a brand new motorcycle, uh, new registered after the first of January, twenty twenty one. Ideal. And another thing that I remember, because I was working uh, in, in bikes back when we had the Brexit vote, and yep. we had a lot of people, and even people that we worked with that was pro Brexit, and mm. said, well. We don't have to worry about the stupid Euro Euro four emission standards when we leave Europe. Um, would you say that's going to be the case? Well, you, you can't. I can understand why people might think that, regardless of which side of the fence you, th- you sit on. You're going to think, oh, well, maybe we're not kind of governed by these anymore. 
just because we've left the EU, the UK still cares about emissions. And I guess the easiest way to adhere to that is to just follow the EU guidelines. So everything I've read online suggests that the UK is going to continue to follow the EU emissions rules. Um, and on top of that, anyway, the other thing to remember, um, and I, I kind of remember having this conversation with a lot of customers, is that motorcycle sales are a global market. So most manufacturers, unless they're very, very small and boutique, um, are going to want to build their bikes to the highest possible emission standards exactly um, such that they can sell them in as many markets as possible if they're then selling it into a market that maybe has slightly lower um emissions criteria then i guess they could change the bike slightly but there'd be no need because it would already exceed the standards of that market um so the from what i gather the eu standards are probably some of the highest in the world i think there might be some differences in american markets um, I know like states like California have some pretty stringent rules for certain vehicles. I'm not sure though, but yeah, generally we're not a manufacturer is not Kawasaki, for instance, is not going to make a UK version of a Versus just so that we can um, have you know slightly higher hydrocarbon output. It's not gonna exactly. Happen. We might we might think that we're we're a big fish, but in this is what definitely one of those situations where we are we are quite a small fish. Europe still has Europe still has the clout and yeah exactly I mean motorcycle sales in Europe for instance are you know so much higher than they are in the UK yeah and just geographically as well you know you could argue okay well maybe we'll have more you know United States sort of level of emission standards but mm. again that won't happen because when the bikes are imported they're imported to Europe and yeah. we will take them from there it's a lot easier and a lot cheaper than Oh, Kawasaki, as an, as an example, will go through um, Holland. So, you know, why, why would Kawasaki bring in special UK versions of the bike? It's, just not, it's not going to happen anyway. Um, I mean, we may, we may all be proven wrong in a few years, in which case, please come back and let us know. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's safe to say that for now, at least for the next few euros, um, although maybe Boris will change it to, it'll, it'll say UK6. Well, yeah. And <laughs> just cause. But just be the same standard. <laughs> So yeah, no. Um, we're saying about other the other benefits other than making bikes cleaner, um, and you'll remember this from from when we changed from the Euro three to Euro four. Um, and I guess it kind of this depends on your point of view and um, how you like to see motorcycles progress. But it certainly forces manufacturers to innovate a little bit more rather than just kind of facelift existing models. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, you know, most well, all manufacturers will will have a sort of an update schedule. You know, Triumph usually has a a big model update followed by the following year where they have a a facelift. I mean, most manufacturers are the same. I just know I just know Triumph better. Yeah, than... Yeah, Triumph definitely do it very obviously. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of the Japanese manufacturers try and drag models out a wee bit longer. I'm looking at you, Suzuki. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It it, for, it does force them to to do more than just you know add add a strip of paint onto onto yeah. one of the panels. And well, you know, that's one of the examples um, I was going to mention later on, but I'm just I'm going to drag it up mm-hmm. to here right now is that is the new Himalayan, the Royal Enfield Himalayan. It actually went through quite a few changes purely to be Euro 4 so that they could sell it. So they could launch it in this country, you know, having things like ABS and um, fuel injection. So is that because pr- primarily initially it was a bike built for the, like the eastern market for India and places. And then they said exactly. that's going to sell like hotcakes in Europe if you make the yeah. relevant changes. Yes, yeah, so they had to modernize it a little bit 
to to make it Euro Four, and then now with oh, wow, it's amazing to think that you could ever use the word modernized. <laughs> the word Royal Enfield Himalayan. But they've gone they've gone mega modern now. They've put in a it's it's not quite a built in sat nav. It's turn by turn, kind of like that you get with the um, is it like the beeline thing? Like the beeline, so it runs off your phone yeah. off Google Maps, and it basically okay. gives you on the on the on the dash. Um, and they've strengthened up the rear rear end so you can put more sort of hard luggage on it. Okay. So, they're, they're, you know, would they have done that without Euro 5 maybe? Or, but Euro 5 probably gave them a, a bit of a kick to... Bit of a kick, because they will have had to change the engine and things as well. Um, yeah, because they had a Compass before, which I actually thought, of all the things, I'm not a huge fan of the Royal Enfield Himalayan, um, but I did think the, com- the inbuilt Compass was, was very It was cool. cool. Yeah, I thought that was a really good idea. Um, and well, yeah, you know, in fairness, when you're out green lading, that is often as useful as anything. Just to know, no, I am still heading west. Perfect. Oh yeah, that was yeah. that was broadly the direction I wanted, rather than having to try and look for the direction of the sun or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, it, I mean, a big change was back with the Bonnevilles as well, yeah, going from exactly. air cools to water cools. Um, you know, try and really drag that on for as long as they could with their their air cooled radiators on the mm. on the, the Bonneville scrambler, and and then they completely completely overhauled their their range. That that those bikes went from twenty fourteen, I think, the scrambler up to twenty. When did they When did they come in? No, that bike. So the, that engine, um, it. The 865. Well, the 865 engine effectively was the same lump from like 2004, 5. It went, it was carbureted originally. Mm-hmm. Then it went fuel injection in 2007, 2008. Yeah. And then it ran virtually unchanged from 08 to 16. Which is crazy. I mean, a testament to the fact that it's a good motor and a good, a and, a good motor. And, a, and a well-selling yeah. bike. But, you know, and then when it, when Euro 4 did come again, they were they were due an update. Euro four happened to be happening around the same time and probably helped with yeah, with exactly. that. It would seem like far too convenient for it to not be a contributory factor, I think. Um and obviously the big thing we got with that then was then we had the twelve hundred lump, which then meant we actually got like proper performance twins from Triumph. You know, the old eight six five Thruxton, for instance, was gutless, sixty horsepower, so that then suddenly jumped to uh, the ability to put a 1200 water cool bon in with nearly 100 horsepower um yeah which was which was a quick bike and then we also had the addition of ride by wire throttles across the full range of bikes um ride by wire throttles allows easy application of traction control um inertial measurement units cruise control um all of those lovely things that we either you either love or you hate rider well, modes. I suppose, yeah i mean this 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 leads us into <laughs> You know, a lot of people argue that the, this modernization of bikes is a is a step backwards to to an extent. And and again, to an extent, I I do agree with that. I loved my um, air cooled scrambler mm. for you know simplicity. But well, and as a T seven as a T seven owner, you're clearly somebody that does appreciate having a bike that's relatively simple. Yeah, and it doesn't have a you know, it's not got an electronic throttle. It's got a proper cable throttle. Um, but a counter argument to that, if you like simple older machines, there are thousands out there that yeah, are used. Yeah. yeah, nobody's stopping <laughs> you, know. you from buying them again. Um, and I think when push comes to shove, I mean, the number of customers I've had conversations with where they, they insist that they're not interested in all the latest tech. 
and then maybe when they test ride a bike or you actually get the chance to sit them on the bike show them it start it up go through the menus and actually they start to you can see them start to think about how those features are going to benefit them and they think actually yeah do you know what when i remember actually when i rode down to the south of france my wrist got really achy and riding on the french motorway is not fun cruise control might actually be quite nice that's the one big thing i miss yeah. that i don't have on the c7 and that I, I would you know i would appreciate that on the bike um but it's not what i bought the bike for but yeah your point is your point completely stands there yeah generally i'm, a, I'm i mean we're, we're both fairly techy people so i think we generally see um technology improvements as as a benefit to to bikes as a whole rather than a a negative thing but you know obviously there will be some people that that disagree with that so um what bikes are changing and how are they changing i guess is the next question so we've said that obviously we've got to reduce these um these new non-methane hydrocarbons and as well as all the other emissions have to drop by fairly significant amounts um to get through euro five i th- i think yeah we've in our in you know the adventure bike market which is what we're we're mainly focusing on and trying to f- keep focusing on in this episode, but it's not uh, actually been hit that hard. It's definitely not been hit as hard as as um, like the super sports, for example, and that is that is where this this has been hit the hardest, and and is always the case with you know with these machines. Uh, the R six I mentioned earlier has been dro- has has dropped um, completely. Well, and that's it's probably worth stepping in there and just saying the the reason for that is that the the bikes that are worst affected seem to be bikes with high revving engines. Mm-hmm. Um, so bike bikes that are constantly working at, um, at at high RPM levels, like six sport six hundreds, seem to be hit especially hard by Euro five. Um, and there are some ways around that, which we'll come on to in a minute. We haven't mentioned this, but with you know doing these Euro um, policies, it does you know, compromise on the performance of an engine. Mm-hmm. You know, the same motor will get tweaked for Euro 5 and will put out, you know, a few less horses. You know, I think the... Um, I was reading Motorcycle News's review of the new MT-07 and that CP2 engine has dropped by 1.4, I want to say, horsepower. It's 1.7 horsepower. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So, you know, the same motors aren't necessarily getting the same performance and... Mm. You know, especially when it's all about performance with these with these super sports. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, you've got to increase the weight to, you know, add more components to make it have the same amount of horses as before. And it's kind of like a... Well, and it's cost as well. And although the reduction in emissions from is smaller from Euro 4 to 5 than it was from 3 to 4, the further you go, those kind of those gains in kind of lowering emissions become like exponentially harder to get so it becomes more expensive and far harder to get a small drop from euro four to five than it was to get the slightly bigger drop that it was from euro three to euro four and that's why we saw you know we see huge price hikes in some of these bikes like you know like r6s and things it just would have become economically unviable you know the, the bike would have cost 15 grand or something um which is just you know lunacy for a sport 600 so um you know bikes like that are never gonna they're always gonna struggle to to make it through yeah i'm trying to be sympathetic to sports bike riders but (laughs) this is not something that i think is a bad thing i think super sports high performance super sports not don't have a place on especially british roads sure i think if you've got the money to buy one then it's a track bike 
in which case you're not you're not bothered with your absolutely your problems. And it's worth saying you know we've said the R6 has been cancelled. You can still buy a track version of it. Yeah. So you know it's just not road homologated. Yeah, and uh, you know if I had the you know I we've done track days with the Yamaha. I if I had the money I would definitely get one of these. But if I would I would never. I would never have a super sport just for the road. It's the same same with getting like a you wouldn't get a you know WR and just ride it around the road. I mean some people <laughs> exactly. some people do, but it's 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 kind of like why? What's the point? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you've got to use it in its uh, intended environment. Um it was interesting that you were saying that um the CP two motor has increased well, it's re- reduced emissions but lost a little bit of power in the in the process. Um because there was an example I found of this kind of innovation and forcing of Euro 5 forcing manufacturers to to kind of work a little bit harder um, from Yamaha actually that was which was the opposite and that's their new version of their CP3 motor which hasn't had an increase in capacity it's had some I think it's just some clever work to the internals and and things done okay um, uh, so on the new MT09 and I assume this will be the same for the new Tracer 900 as well um, Yamaha are uh, in, um, quoting an improvement of 9% in fuel economy um, but still we've got like a 3 or 4% power increase as well so it goes to show like on the on the engines that matter and I guess with that bike in particular Yamaha are very aware that Triumph uh, and Kawasaki are a little bit more powerful than them and they've gone right we need to get the CP3 motor up a little bit in power and torque as well as meeting the criteria um so it's not um, it's not all doom and gloom no just while you're chatting I've just gone gone on to MCN um loss of 1.6 horsepower and 0.7 foot pound of torque the um, the new CP2's got. <laughs> Just lose a few kilos yourself, and then it will make up for it. I guess. Stay off the beers for a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but fifty. I don't know what the old the old motor did, but fifty one miles to the gallon. The this one will do. Um, okay. Is it is it lighter? I'm trying to see if it does. If it is lighter, I don't know why we're talking about a bike that isn't an adventure bike. No. <laughs> I should probably look at the Tracer 700 but I presume that's the same yeah um, but anyway there we go yeah I mean it's quite hard if they, if manufacturers have managed to get the weight down through Euro 5 as well that's e- that's even more impressive because one of the easiest and I guess like cheatiest ways to get through these emissions is to just use more or larger classic converters um, which can be used to reduce hydrocarbon emissions Um the downside with cassettes converters is unlike some of the other technology which we're going to come on to talk about in a minute they have no benefits for anything other than emissions they are heavy uh, they restrict exhaust gas flow and subsequently kind of suffocate the engine a little bit and normally rob a few horsepower um, and they're really expensive because they're full of precious metals um, yeah so hence why you removed yours because from a performance point of view and a sound point of view, it, it it's a no-brainer. Um, the the downside is that you make your bike a little bit dirtier. Yeah, it's kind of because you do have emissions that are incred- that are very bad mm. for for the environment. You know, not just your sort of carbon emissions. But the Catholic converter does do a good job of um, fixing up. It's almost you almost need an aftermarket for. Um, environmentally conscious people who <laughs> are, are still have to performance so that they can have like a little 
Just like a teeny catalytic converter. Well, a crapper bitch do exactly <laughs> that. Oh, do they? Yeah, yeah, they do a sports cap, which is which is a small catalytic converter that you can fit into your um, kind of full full system, effectively. I um, thought we were under something then, but they've obviously yeah, sorry, they've mate. obviously thought about it. Oh well, yeah, I I, I don't think I've ever sold one. <laughs> full, full exhaust system is like 1500 quid and so you go oh would you like the the uh, the sports cat it's an extra 90 quid nah <laughs> extra 90 quid to see yeah you it'd just be idiots like me that would say they would just go oh but but what about the what about the flowers <laughs> sorry i'm thinking about my, my my daughter's future here that's it you can tell okay. i have children right <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, it's definitely something to think about. And, and, I've ha- and I have had conversations with customers that have specifically not fitted full systems to their bikes because they've not wanted to stick at it for environmental reasons. And yeah, fair, fair enough. Can't argue with that at all. Um, but yeah, we're, see- we're seeing some a little bit more technology coming in um, to try and kind of bolster these emissions reductions. Uh, one of the things I think we're going to see more and more come in is variable valve timing um sort of becoming more commonplace and we've seen a lot of manufacturers use that in the past um and and quite recently uh to to help with performance gains um but uh, it can also be used to uh improve fuel economy um so uh, BMW most recently have been using it in a lot of their sports in the in their sports bike like uh, the S1000R uh, double R um and I think the new S1000XR so there there we go that is an adventure bike that's coming out based on their sports bikes that will be coming in with their shift cam valve timing um suzuki have been doing it and there's ducati have been doing it in the multistrada i believe so and honda obviously were using it historically in the cross tour and cross runner okay i, I didn't know that vtech v8 uh v4s weren't they um so they you know the bikes have been using it but i think we're going to see that become more commonplace it allows the manufacturers to kind of get the peak power get the low the kind of low to mid-range torque that they still want for drivability whilst keeping emissions down a little bit the downside with a lot of vvc systems um are complexity and cost um suzuki have got a very very simple system for it on the gsxr but bmw system by comparison which i think runs off little servo motors and things seems to be a little bit more complicated and i guess there will be some cause for worry long term um, about the, those systems failing out of warranty for people, which I think is is fair enough. So hopefully a few more years out on adventure bikes then. Well, yeah, either that or or just systems that are definitely reliable. I mean, Suzuki's system on the GSXR, for instance, is completely infallible as far as I'm aware. It's incredibly simple. Um, it's a completely mechanical system as well, uh, unlike BMWs, which is electronic. Oh, okay, um, so. I'm not going to go into it in great detail, but um, I remember when we when the GSXR was launched, it was something that they were, Suzuki were really proud of, um, just because of its sort of how robust it is. Uh, what else are we going to see, James? Uh, what else are we going to see? More engine sharing is one thing, because of the cost of <clears throat> developing new motors now being harder and harder. We're going to see um, a lot more cross-platform sharing um within each brand so i mean we've obviously already seen that from triumph um and yamaha i guess over the last few years yeah it's definitely creeping in more and more yeah i mean the cp2 motors used in is it four different bikes in yamaha's range what have we got the 
uh, MT, XSR, Tracer, Tenere. Um, Tenere, yeah. And yeah. then CP3, it's similar. Triumph obviously use their um, watercooled twins in about 4,000 different models of <laughs> something like that at the moment uh, <laughs> just about every bike they can shoehorn it into and every niche they can plug out oh, i just chuck a 1200 in there 900 in there um <laughs> but yeah we, we, i think we're going to see a lot more of that yeah um, just to reduce cost of cost of development basically if you can get one motor that's already euro 5 compliant and you use it in six different bikes rather than developing three or four engines for those six bikes you're onto a winner oh definitely and you know triumph and yamaha are are definitely testament that 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 works it doesn't it doesn't you know damage the bikes and it you know it, you know their image in any way they can be tuned very successfully to suit different styles of models we've seen that very successfully done as well so yeah i see that definitely becoming more prominent as we go along go, going back to sort of what you said before back in 16 i think and we lost all those air cooled triumphs i think we're likely to see kind of the further demise of of air cooling as a whole through the industry specifically on smaller capacity bikes see i thought i thought air cooling went with euro 4 i wasn't aware that it's still no i think there are still some small bikes that that are um air cooled and obviously a lot of harley davidson's are still air cooled oh of course so through through the research i did for this what i found was they said that smaller air cooled bikes are going to struggle more because the cost of development to get an air cooled bike to perform is going to become even harder right okay now i guess therefore on like the really big expensive harleys it's not such a big deal because if you add two grand to the price of a 25 grand bike who cares it's like a less than a 10 percent increase but if you're having to add a big old chunk to a bike that's only four or five grand it, it just prices itself out of the market um so i guess that's probably why we saw bikes like um the harley now let me get this right the street rod and the street 750 back in like 2015 come out the first water cooled 750 cc oh yes yeah. and i would imagine that would be down to the fact that making an air cooled bike that still met the current the regulations at that point which would have been coming into euro four um they would have just gone. This isn't possible at, with the budget constraints we've got for for such an en- for an entry level bike like that. Um, and apparently, the issue with with air cooled bikes, if anyone's interested, it's down to temperature control um, during the kind of the tests for these emissions things. Um, so it tends to be early on in the cycle when the engine's running cold, and further on in the cycle when the engine's running very hot. That well, I can't remember exactly without looking it up, but it, it kind of led to like greatly increased emissions when the engine's running cool or hot yeah they say that with, with cars if you if your commute to work is is you know less than so so many miles you're actually the the emissions of that car are actually much higher because the because the motor doesn't the engine doesn't warm up on that journey enough right okay yeah yeah that sort of makes sense um with water cooling what from what i read the the reason you could get a water-cooled engine to perform more efficiently more quickly is because you can use the ecu to control the flow of water um and effectively force the engine to heat up quicker. warm up right yeah. okay and then you can force it to cool down and you can you can regulate that temperature far better with a water-cooled system than you can with air cooling oh that's cool um yeah it's kind of interesting but so it's sort of sad because you know that's the we're going to just see the death of 
pinging fi- uh, engine fins. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Triumph have got what look like fins on their engines, but they don't ping when the bike's cooling down like a like an old air-cooled bike did. Um, and I always thought it just kind of gave the bike a little bit of a... It was sort of like personified the bike a little bit, made it feel like a, re- a real thing that was like kind of the bike was out of breath and recovering from, from the ride. <laughs> but hey-ho. I mean, we haven't had like proper performance air-cooled bikes for years, so it's no great loss. So yeah, I don't know if there's anything else I'm I'm missing um, in terms of things that... Oh, um, generally, I think we'll see a slight move towards larger engine sizes as a general rule. Mm-hmm. If you make bore an engine out and make it rev less hard, um, that tends to tends to make the bike a little bit more efficient and it also allows you to offset some of those horsepower losses you would have otherwise so i guess for instance in triumph's case with the tiger 800 changing to the tiger 900 by gaining 100 cc's you can effectively clean the bike up but not lose horsepower because you've increased your engine size there there are there are exceptions to the rules but uh, as a general rule you, you you'll see engine sizes kind of creep up um with with emissions um standards which is kind of the opposite to the car world where we've seen everything down, downsized from um years ago you couldn't really buy a car with you know everybody had a two liter and now most people's cars are what like one liter 1. 1.2 1. 1.3 yeah, something like that that's true or electric yeah <laughs> um but that that kind of leads us on to the next thing which is um other ways of us getting these emissions down going forward uh if and when these these standards become harder to meet we're quite lucky like you said at the start that the bike industry is behind the the car and kind of lorry um regulations in terms of emissions um so we've managed to so far we've managed to meet all of the the regulations as an industry without resorting to kind of um really extreme technologies which the car industries have to use um and i guess as somebody that's bought new cars you probably have read a little bit more into some of this but i guess the first thing first thing is forced induction so the use of turbochargers and superchargers um fairly rare in the bike world isn't it yeah we've only got the is it only the h2 range that as far as i'm aware it's only the h2 range from kawasaki which is effectively three bikes so the zh2 h2sx and the h2 um and then there's the tezzy thing which is based on the h2 so but the thing is, with Kawasaki, they, Kawasaki have never really kind of sold that as a emissions or a kind of uh, fuel economy saving device. Really, it's always been marketed as a performance, performance thing. Point. Yeah, I think they claimed on the H2SX, which is their touring version, um, that you should, in theory, if you weren't caning the bike, get better fuel economy than you would from <laughs> a, 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 a you know a, a equivalent. Um, naturally aspirated engine but it was it was a bit of a afterthought for them i don't know of any brands using forced induction for emissions do you no not a clue no i'll be honest i didn't even know that h2s use it to be perfectly honest oh did you not no no no. i it's kind of that one of those things that it's going to be what the super sports and the big sort of hyper nakeds are going to be using if if it's going to get bought in, there's those are the machines that will adopt it first. They'll, they'll need it, and they'll be able to afford because yeah. they're already expensive. They'll be able to afford the technology, I suppose. Um, I mean, in the car world, everything is 
ter- turbocharged now or supercharged um you, you, I, I think you really struggle to buy a, a certainly if you're buying like a normal quote-unquote car um it will have some form of sport uh, forced induction and that isn't there to particularly boost performance it's there to to meet emissions so that's something we could end up seeing um and then i guess the other thing is hybrid yeah which see i don't i personally don't think we will ever see it in a bike Mm -hmm. um you know obviously almost every car is some form of hybrid either self-charging hybrid which just charges off the it's regenerative charging off the of the engine and the braking or you've got plug-in hybrid um with with cars compared to bikes there's a there's a huge difference in sort of weight to performance you know you've got your car engine and there's a, a whole a whole load more in that machine of weight compared to the bike where the engine weight sorry i suppose the better way to describe it is the engine weight compared to the weight of the machine i suppose the overall weight of the machine yes um, yeah, in a in a bike the engine is a fairly big chunk of the weight yeah um and to chuck to then put another uh electric motor in and a battery which we all know are heavy heavy things um i'm just while i'm waffling i'm just gonna have a look at the weight of the um the zero motorcycles um i know that they're sort of they're well over 200 kilos though aren't they yeah i know the fx which is their sort of trailer one is um is only about 140 kilos, which is fantastically light. But their, so their latest one, which is their Zero SRS, which is their sort of sporty one, uh, which everyone raves about. Of course, it's in pounds because it's American. Let me just pop that into Google. 230 kilos. Yeah, which is which is heavy for a sports bike. Yeah. Let alone chucking an internal combustion engine into the mix as well for, to make it hybrid. Exactly. So yeah. it's they're not light things by any way. You, you, it's not as if you're just putting a little thing on to top it up. You are putting a whole other drivetrain on, effectively. Well, I guess that's the other thing as well. Is even if even if weight wasn't a concern, packaging is. On yeah. The bike. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I suppose if there's one thing, one bike that I could potentially see it being used in would be something like a Goldwing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So the really big Grand Tours. Yeah, yeah. Because weight isn't really that much of an issue with those well, things because no, they are huge. About as much as a small moon, doesn't it? So. Yeah, and they're about um, as wide as a car. So it's you know yeah. it's, that's a bit different. But any any your main sort of production um, bikes, I don't think we'll see hybrid. Obviously, the uptake of electric is is on its way. It's well on its way. Mm-hmm. Obviously, again bikes are way behind cars way way behind cars the investment is so much lower obviously cars are, are being car manufacturers are being forced into into becoming electric or some form of electric by 2035 i believe i thought it's 2030 now is it 2030 now i don't know we'll fact check that but i think it's 2030 whatever it whatever it is but there, there's nothing in that about motorcycles it's right, just okay. it's just four weird four wheeled vehicles. Um, well, ja- Jaguar announced yesterday or the day before. I've, I mean, I don't know when people are listening to this, but so a week or so ago, um, that by twenty twenty five they plan to have no internal combustion engine cars in their range, which which is awesome. 
which is awesome. It's interesting for a company like Jaguar, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. Know, does, you know, a company that's always, you know, it's predominantly sports cars and luxury cars that would have always had, you know, quite big, quite big performance orientated engines. And yeah, they're saying, no, we're going to be five years ahead of the UK government's aim and just get rid of them. Which is great. And everyone's, you know, you look at you look at car manufacturers two two years ago, and so, a lot, so many of them didn't even look like they were even thinking about electric. And now, everyone's got some form of electric or hybrid either on the market or coming to market. Um, all the big bike manufacturers are sort of have sort of been teasing and playing and saying that they're they're looking at, you know, electric technology for future vehicles. I think. Triumph have, or a spokesperson of Triumph or some or something has been said that they are looking at it for the future sort of thing. Yamaha um, have officially canned all 50s from their range. Right, okay. They, they will be replaced this year with an electric vehicle. Okay. So I think that's where we're going to we're going to see the introduction of electric vehicles into the mainstream motorcycle manufacturers is going to be in the smaller commuting the commuter um, bikes, which makes sense really because it is cost effective. Yeah, you know, it, they're they're still very much a premium product. The zero, the zero, if I was commuting, would mm. be a perfect bike because it would offset. Even though they're, they're they are very expensive, it would offset um, over the you know over the time of having the bike with the petrol. But you'd have to be doing quite a few miles a year for that. To, yeah. To oh have, yeah, that'd be happen, like that'd you? be like sort of twenty miles each way. You know, five days a week sort of thing. Um, but yeah, the commuter world is where it's going to creep in. And I, th- I think it will just spread from there. Mm, well, the commuter world as well tends to be less, less bothered about kind of hanging on to the, I don't want to kind of upset anyone, but like hang on to the past and hang on to internal combustion engines commuters. What they care about is it being affordable, it being easy to live with, um, and it being nice and quiet and calm to ride you know if it's got enough torque to pull away from some traffic lights and it doesn't cost them anything why not i mean which is why everyone's on scooters in london yeah yeah well the electric illegal things well i meant just normal just just yeah your and your pcx's and such oh, I, but... thought you meant <clears throat> I thought you meant the um the little um stand-on ones which i also oh no no I, I love those and i think i think it's madness that the uk um is so behind the rest of europe in terms of getting those things legalized properly um because again they solve a lot of transport issues in in inner cities bristol have got them you can hire them now though which is pretty cool oh really oh that's cool Four, 14p a minute or something okay um if, i have to go when lockdown's over i worked out the other day it would take you 60 hours of continuous use to pay for one <laughs> right okay because they're about 500 quid um so i was like yes it seems a good scheme Um, yeah definitely and then even things you know you do your socos super socos i mean what are they five grand no like starting at two and a half which is mad i mean i know they'll only do like 30 miles but yeah but most people's inner city commute isn't you compare that to a ybr similar price to a ybr 125 and by the end of the year by the end of the year, you you paid a lot less, you know, if you're electric over your fuel. So, you know, that's that's where it's going to start, and it will just spread from there. I mean, we've seen, you know, things like 
anything with these new these new energy types solar's dropped by like 95% in the past 10 years electrics have become more widespread and um and cheaper it's a matter of time whether you like it or not yeah the, the interesting thing is going to be how that's going to work with the adventure market right because for those people that really want to get out and properly get off the beaten path that's where they're going to struggle yeah with electric bikes you're not going to ride from here to outer mongolia on an electric motorbike at the well, moment for a while you, you can ride from the bottom of, Amer- of south america to uh oh, to alaska apparently sort of. i don't know because i haven't sort of. i haven't mm. actually watched it yeah it looked like a, <laughs> bit of a pain in the backside to be honest <laughs> i still haven't watched past episode one i really no i, really I don't blame it. you either <laughs> so what bikes have we got to look forward to so the the well not the big one one of the one of the big announcements which i don't really see as a big announcement but a lot of people on the tech forum keeps going on about them is the um honda have updated their crf 250 range yep. by giving it another 50 cc's up to the 300s which um sounds great yeah exactly i mean there's a case in point of you know slight increase in engine capacity like we said I don't think there's any huge technology advancements in the bike. Um, but, you know, they have managed to make the bike cleaner, torquier, um, more powerful, and at the same time, lighter. So, fair play to Honda on all counts, really. Um, you know, but I think we're, it's fa- safe to say we're fairly fairly big fans of the CRF250 range as an entry-level kind of green laning tool. And if they've done all, the, done all those things, then no downsides to that whatsoever as far as i'm concerned and the africa twin um that was only recently updated and the well the 11 with the 1100 um so that's a fresh model and that is euro 5 compliant i, I believe i think that's already euro 5 compliant yeah or it, and if it wasn't last year it will be that one will be one they're able to get away with very minor changes in order to make it euro 5 um the one i'm looking forward to is the baby africa twin whenever that shows up I think we're going to go into more detail with this next week, but the the adventure market is definitely changing, whether it's reactionary to maybe the T7 or whether it's just the, the general way that it has been going now. We've got this sort of middle middle capacity really coming through and more affordable. I think there's always been a middle capacity, but what there hasn't been in the past, as far as I'm concerned, is a middleweight capacity adventure bike that has actually been competent off-road we've always had v-stroms 650s and versus 650 and f650s and f700s and all of those they've always been a bit crap off-road um whereas we're kind of seeing a genuine kind of race for the the top spot in terms of a off-road competent middleweight adventure bike um and i think we're going to see i think we're seeing sort of sales drift away from the larger bikes like the 1250 gs and explorers and things um down to this type of bike yeah no i i agree with that i mean i suppose if you if you could trace it back you start with the the 1200s back with with long way round and you that you spark that imagination in 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 the world of of motorcyclists that want to get into adventure riding and that's basically what we're doing now, isn't it? Really? What? Simil- Inspiring simil- the next generation? Yeah. Similar to what you and Charlie did back in 2005 or whatever with GSs, we're doing the same for the, the next generation of prospective T7 owners, really. Yeah, um, but through the medium of podcasts instead of being famous and having lots of money. Exactly. You know, <laughs> but, you, but you have, 
you have all these people buying these machines and never using them for what they say they're used for. They're all they're all road warriors because you know I mean people argue all day long that twelve hundred GS is perfectly capable off road, which which it is, but not but in the right hands. In the right hands, exactly. So you know people are becoming more wanting more off-road actual off-road capability mm. as opposed to having their adventure bikes just look like they'd be good off-road they're actually they're actually demanding to well, take these people, machines people are taking them off-road which is, which uh, is yeah um and that's like the, the thing that we advocate more than anything um here is just ride your bike don't worry about how much it's worth in two or three years time who cares like life's too short it is ultimately without being flippant it is only money just go out and enjoy the bike and i guarantee you won't care that you lost an extra thousand pounds over three years because you will have had far more than a thousand pounds worth of fun on it exactly uh other than that from honda we are losing the cross tourer and the cross runner which were like you might not even know what they are because they're so kind of unpopular and sort of unfairly unpopular they're just a bike that sort of flies under everyone's radar they were honda's v4 um adventure bike versions of the of the vfr 800 and 1200 which are also going um and the kind of sad thing about this is it means it is the first time in 40 years that honda have been without a v4 in its range it's a bit of a loss of a oh, wow. a great engine um a, you know really characterful motor do you think it's going to be like the hayabusa do you reckon we'll see it return in a couple of years yeah i, I mean I, I hope so but um it depends if honda think that there's a market for I think they they tried with the cross tourer, and it just never ever made a dent on Tiger um, and GS sales. Uh, what's whatsoever? I've sold one in four years. I worked there. You know, it's it's bonkers um, compared to yeah, goodness knows how many um, Tigers and even loads of used GSs. So um, yeah, um, and then Yamaha. We obviously we've got the T7 that's carrying through with Euro Five. No, no great change there. Um, bit of a shame the Tenere 1200 is disappearing though, with no replacement on the horizon. Yeah, the Super Ten, which was the bike that nobody bought, but apparently was fantastic. Yeah, I believe in Europe it sold quite well, from what I gather. Like relatively, anyway. Not still not in GS and Tiger numbers, but compared to the UK. But yeah, again, it was one of those bikes that didn't. I mean, it wasn't. I don't think it was quite as bad as the Cross Tourer and things, um, but certainly not a bike we ever particularly wanted to have in stock. New, however, everybody that bought one loves them. I think they're one of those bikes. If you own them, you ride them. They are brilliant. They are built like tanks. They're so comfortable, so reliable. Was it Nick Sanders that did like 60,000 miles on it without an oil change? Yeah, yeah. And they took the engine apart and it looked brand new. Just really, really over-engineered bike. And I do think it's a shame that's going, even though it wasn't a huge sales hit. Um, and it was a bit cumbersome and big for off-road. As a kind of on-road and like, you know, easy off-road kind of, you know, the same way you'd use a GS kind of bike. It was very underrated. Because we're losing the FJR as well, aren't we? Which is the same motor. So are we, are we losing that motor completely from Yamaha's range? The 12... FG, no, FJR um, is a 1300. Oh, is it? Uh, in, in line oh, yeah, four. sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. The 12 is a 1200 twin. So different motors. But again, FJR is just... Uh, 
it's not an adventure bike but it's a big touring bike fantastic bike a very unpopular category we saw kawasaki's gtr 1400 disappear um as well as the triumph trophy back in euro four um and that was just down to sales economics they weren't selling yamaha managed to eke out the fjr for another um four years which was good um but sales were were very poor on those um and they, they brought out the final edition last year which i think was a, a paint job to be honest um sh- shift the last few units and um again it's a shame because on those bikes everyone that bought them no complaints whatsoever um very 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 good fast cross-continent gt bike but gone um tracer range then so we had the the new tracer came out um in 2020 um yeah, that was already euro five so no changes to the seven yeah i'm not a big fan of it to be perfectly honest i think if you're we lent it to you didn't we yeah i think i would i would i suppose if you're small i think i'm six three and it and it feels like a very small bike you're a bit big for it yeah and i just found even though it's the same motor as as my t7 i i felt i for some reason i find it the most boring version of that c2 i agree um so i think the tracer nine is a is a great is a great machine for for road touring and that's been fairly heavily updated this year so that's had new tech thrown at it um like we said more power better fuel economy different looks cleaned up all sorts so we'll talk about it next week in more detail but yeah tracer nine and tracer nine gt should be um pretty cool bikes and then i i remember when i came back from australia back in 20 2015 2014 2015 i i i just started saving up for a xv950 because i thought it was the coolest looking machine that was um yamaha shows how little you knew about bikes back then. i know that um was yamaha's um sort of retro cruiser i feel i still think they look cool they do look cool they do and they they are they released a model based on it uh the scr which i think we've talked about in this podcast before is a vile piece of machinery. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, again, I keep bringing up Fort Nine on, the, on this podcast, but he did a video review on it, and he said it was great because back in the day when uh, World War Two finished and they were chopping up mm. the their old military, you know, the military sort of bikes that they had, the, basically the big cruisers. Yeah. And they chopped them up and turned them into bobbers and scramblers. Mm-hmm. And he said, the SCR is great because it is just like that. It is like this horrible chop shop kind of done in the back of your garage. Really bad, really uncomfortable, horrible to ride off road. So heavy, and so he underpowered. Said, and he said he loved it for that reason. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose if you, if you come into it with absolutely no expectations, I mean, it is a motorcycle. Yeah. And like, ultimately, all bikes are good. Yeah, it's just horrible. Wheels, I'd rather it, ride it than not. But <laughs> it doesn't look nice. It's everything about that machine is wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why on earth Yamaha have not made a proper scrambler? I know they did the X Tribute, which was better. A proper scrambler version of the XSR seven hundred. I have no idea. With wire wheels and yeah, they do like a high exhaust and stuff, but it's just. It's just cosmetic. Oh, the, and the um, X Tribute had, you know, off-roady style tyres and higher mm. bars to give it a more scrambly road position. And a, I think a flatter seat, maybe. But 
it wasn't a proper script. I mean, why they brought out the SCR and not that is yeah baffles me I, completely. I, I think with this with a stronger frame from the T7, you could probably oh, they could yeah. probably bring out something mega. Well, imagine how light it could be if it didn't need all the kind of height and plastics and stuff that the T7's got. So it's just a, effectively you get a T7 and strip it down to its bare bones and stick a little round headlight on it. Yeah, be that'd wicked. be a that'd be a proper Ducati competitor, I reckon. And and Triumph Scrambler competitor, for, mm. you know, even for the even for the twelve hundred Scrambler, and they could undercut it price wise by four grand. Yeah. So yeah, who knows? Um, you know, we 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 know we know nothing. If you're still listening, Yamaha, after we've absolutely slated your SCR. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but we're really nice about the T7, so it balances out. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, Triumph Tiger 9 came out last year. Um, yeah. Lovely, lovely bike. Euro 5 compliant. Replaced the Tiger 800. Uh, again, talk about that a little bit more next week, although it's not a new bike for 21. What is new for 21 is the Tiger 850. And you might think, why on earth have Triumph got a Tiger 850 and a Tiger 900 when the 900 just replaced the 800? You've now got two bikes that are 50cc apart. Surely that's pointless. Yeah, it was a total curveball. And <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot here because earlier you were saying that for Euro 5, some of the manufacturers are just increasing capacity to make uh, them more economical. But the Tiger 850s a smaller capacity than Tiger 900 and a sm- considerably smaller capacity than the outgoing, the bike that it arguably replaced, which was the Tiger 1050 Sport. Now, well, I'll what's have to do a little bit that? more research on this next week. <laughs> to, and I did say there will be, and I did give myself a caveat because I said there will be some exceptions because I was thinking specifically of this one. Um, I need to do a bit more research on this bike. I don't know a huge amount about it, to be honest, because I haven't been at work for the last month or so. And to be honest, I haven't paid a huge amount of attention to it. But I would be very surprised if that engine is based on the 1050 unit. I would imagine it's more likely based on either the street triple unit of some sort so something that's maybe like the trident based or the old tiger mm-hmm. 800 engine mm-hmm. rather than a kind of sleeved down version of the 1050 yeah and it's not um, it's, not, it's not, not a replacement, it's, for, it's the not a replacement for the 1050 at all it's an all-new bike and it's coming in at a far far lower price point it's kind of in the same way that the trident is coming in uh, an all new price point an, an all new low price point for triumph which is you know okay the trident's still seven grand which is sort of expensive but for triumph that's a very low price point the same thing's true of the tiger 850 it's coming in at as a very affordable road going adventure Starting from nine three nine three okay yeah um which for triumph for a road going adventure bike is fairly affordable um you know that's that's the same price it's the same price as a t7 basically more or less it's 200 pounds cheaper than a t7 t7 is nine and a half that's it's insane isn't it yeah so they've done really well there so it's not i think people have got a little bit like oh this isn't this is ridiculous it's a lower power but more basic version of the 1050 that i had 10 years ago it's not at all it's an all-new bike and they're also very much aiming it far far more at um newer and less experienced riders it's a2 compliant which the 1050 never was um because it makes less than 100 horsepower um so it's a bike that's going to sort of fit um a completely different market segment than the 1050 ever did the 1050 was getting very very long in the tooth and didn't sell especially well because 
the i think the tiger 900 was catching up in terms of power and if you wanted way more power then most people just bought an explorer or a tiger 1200 which will be replaced at some point this year so exactly they're just as comfy um, exactly um this is not to say that we won't see a replacement tiger sport with the new speed triple engine in it the whatever it is now 1160 or something um i'd love to see that but i don't think it's going to be soon no i agree suzuki uh dl1050 was launched last year euro 5 compliant fantastic bike i think we've spoken about it before um excellent value the only change this year is they've added a gt variant to the lineup which is simply full luggage coming with the bike um as standard so you can buy a t- tiger t- uh, not a tiger a suzuki dl or v-strom whatever you want to call it 1050 gt in either the cast or spoke wheel version um, and that will come with panniers and, and top case what was the what was suzuki sports tour i can't what was their 1050 sports tour it discontinued a few years back but that was like a it was like a it was like an all-in-one package what, like yeah, it was luggage set? what was it I'm just trying to because I sold. I remember selling quite a few it was of like them. A this GSF 1250. Yeah, and it was and it, it was came the bandit. Yeah, really. but it came with you know it was it was ready to go out of the box, and it seems like yes. this is what they're doing here with that with that GT version. They're they're, they're trying to you know these adventure bikes are, are replacing these the sports tourers that are yeah I mean, by the wayside of, without going into too much detail about it the, the main reason for adding these these gt variants of any bike is because of so many bikes are sold on pcp it helps to enhance increase the residual value of the bike um so it effectively makes those accessories more affordable on a monthly basis than than you would be if it, it wasn't a gt model um that's yeah because if you it. if you bought the bike and then you put on some panniers that pa- those panniers wouldn't the value of those panniers wouldn't the increase value. the Exactly. So that, that's why they do it. And Kawasaki have done it for years. Triumph have done it with some of their bikes. They've had packs that then have their own sort of cap code anyway. So that, that will be why Suzuki did that. And a lot of dealers were asking them to do that. Um, so it's nice that they've listened. Um, yeah. Um, Kawasaki have... To, they've actually managed to sort of go for a more sort of a light update on their Versus range again. That one, that changed last year. Um, so they've just added a, an S version of the Versus, which 1000, which... Um, adds more technology to the bike um, and the SE gains now gains skyhook like active suspension um, which is pretty cool amazing on the road adventure bike the versus thousand really really good um, you'd never want to take it off-road at all but on the road um, it's brilliant lovely really comfortable um, I believe KTM are they replacing the 790 with an 890 yeah you can get if you can still get the 790 new anywhere they are like 1500 pounds off wow okay so that kind of undoes a lot of the stuff we would have said in the past about the tenere being cheaper because the tenere is now 1300 pounds more than you paid for it yeah you paid eight two or eight three i can't remember again pcp something like that doesn't doesn't it doesn't yeah, register yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah but you uh, yeah yeah but you pay i think you paid whatever the launch price was eight three eight four and you said it's now nine and a half if the 790s are 1500 pounds off that must have closed that gap tremendously between them yeah i'm just trying to have a look here they've uh there is no longer on their website the 790 right, they've only got okay. the 890 so it, it was on their okay. website and listed as 1500 pound off off retail but now you've got the the 890 which is coming in at 12 grand so it's probably worth just mentioning to people that if that's the case you you may well find 
dealers are still doing some pretty heavy discounts on those. If then. they've got them in stock, yeah. It seems that KTM... If they've... Got, if they've st- where you've got like have taken it from their website yeah but where you've got like triumph who you will never have their their models are never discounted if they're near the end of the line mm. they will add on they will chuck in accessories and, and such because they want to yeah. keep they want to hold the value of their products as much as possible ktm tend you, tend, you seem to always find a really good deal on a ktm <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like a dfs sofa yeah isn't it? yeah so the new the new 890 is is 11 and the 890 yeah, okay. Adventure R is, did I say 13? Ooh, wow. Yeah, is, big toy, no, sorry, it? 12. Okay. So, so 11 yeah, and 12. So, so, so 1,500 and two and a half grand. Mm-hmm. Or two, two grand, two and a half grand more than the, um, the Tenere. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. But if you can find the 790, um, that is a, if there are any left, that could be a cracker of a buy. Yeah, and that kind of leads me on to our final point, really, for the podcast is... I wonder if people will say, well, but I've seen all these bikes that you're saying are discontinued. Yamaha FJR 1300 final editions, Tenere 1200s, KTM 790s for sale, um, and they're Euro 4, but they're still for sale now. How How is that? Um, and that's because um, manufacturers and dealers are allowed a grace period to to sell through um, this old stock. I think it's two years, I believe they've said for, for it. So um, basically to allow manuf- dealers and manufacturers to not have to just rush register a load of bikes um all at once uh, and effectively make those bikes second hand and they're allowed a period of time to to get through the the um the stock that they have um because that you know manufacturers will have bikes in warehouses dealers will have bikes in showrooms that need to be sold um and if you register them make them second hand obviously you lose um a, a big chunk of your profit in that so um there's no need to worry about buying those bikes. Again, like we said at the start, it doesn't affect you as a consumer buying a Euro 4 bike. You're not buying a bike that's going to um, be worth any less or you're not going to have to do anything to it in order to make it meet Euro 5 regulations. It's absolutely fine. If the bike is brand new and it's for sale in a dealer and you want it, buy it. Um, and like James was saying there, you might even be able to get a little bit of a deal on it, especially towards the end of that derogation period when dealers, will, you know, if they've still got these bikes in stock, will be thinking, oh, I need to, I could do a shifting this now. Yeah, because they'll either have to sell it or register it. Exactly. Um, and, and also, it gives customers a really good idea of how long a dealer's ever had a bike in stock. Because if you see a Euro 4 bike in a showroom, you can go, well, I know that that bike is at least X months old. You know, if they've still got it in stock in nine months' time, you go, well, I know it's at least nine months old. If a dealer's been sat on a new bike for nine months, the chances are they probably like to sell it. So, um, yeah, use that to your advantage by all means. It's a, it's a good job your boss doesn't listen to the podcast yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah just don't try a bridge well no it wouldn't make any difference Lee. just tell you to get stuffed anyway <laughs> <laughs> don't sit on it for decades they'll, yeah. it, they'll keep it until it becomes collectible yeah, yeah and then they won't then they won't sell it <laughs> exactly <laughs> i swear that's why they've got that vincent i think it, <laughs> well, it was just, <laughs> just hung on to it for wouldn't sell it now nah, i'm not doing a deal on it not doing a deal on it and now it's worth 150 grand <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant yeah. <laughs> oh i thought this was going to be like a quick half an hour podcast i thought euro five well how much is there to talk about boom boom, boom. but we're um, one, yeah, an hour. you're gonna have to strip it down Jeez, aren't you? Uh, yeah one hour twelve one hour twelve it's all right it's nice to give strip give the down. folks at home a bumper episode to keep them busy during lockdown when they're not riding so exactly you can listen to this over several days <laughs> several days it's gonna take me several days <laughs> to edit it 
into bite-sized chunks oh. that you can actually bear to listen to. Right. Anyway, stop waffling. Let's let's take it home. I'm done, mate. Excellent. Thank you all for listening this week. Um, if you want to uh, follow on on what we're doing, then you can follow us on Instagram, but we probably won't be posting very much because there isn't much going on. Hmm. Um, I'm at 9to5ADV. And I'm at Devonshire underscore biker. If you want to send us some correspondence for any reason whatsoever, uh, then you can. The email address is hello at 9to5ADV.com or you can obviously just send me like a direct message on Facebook or Instagram. If you love what we're doing and you want to help support the show, then we have a Patreon, which I'll put the link in the description. Um, there are monthly uh, subscriptions from pound twenty-five. Like we said last month, you know, the content we're creating will, will, is and, and will be free for you to use. It's more of if you feel that you want to support us, which would be fantastic. Um, but don't feel like you have to. We do this because we love it. And it's time away from my crying child. And your dickhead dog. Whoa. He's a nice dog. <laughs> he is a nice dog, but he's a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next week, we are going to talk about uh, what's coming up likewise this year. Um, it's been quite strange, obviously, because there's been no shows, no big events. Everything is digital, mm. so bikes have sort of been drip-fed out. So there might be some some things that you might have missed. Or that we might have missed. Or that we might have missed, yeah. It's quite possible. <laughs> what I'm quite excited to talk about, which will probably be our headline bike, will be uh, the Pan America by mm. Harley-Davidson, because mm. they're... Their yeah, virtual launch is on Monday the 22nd, so we're probably going to record on the Tuesday or the Wednesday. Mm. So we'll have lots of things, lots of opinions about that bike, which we're very excited to talk about. Let's see if they can change my mind. <laughs> exactly. So uh, anything you want us to answer, any questions you might have about uh, 2021 adventure bikes, then make sure you fire us a message and we'll make sure we talk about it. Absolutely. So yeah, have a great week, everybody. And uh, yeah, look forward to catching up with you all soon. Yeah, uh, don't keep adventuring until Boris says otherwise. Illegal. Exactly. See you later. Bye. Bye. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.